Hello everybody and welcome to another Around the World in 80 Drinks podcast uh, with myself, Tom Sandham and fellow thinking drinker, Ben McFarland. Hello Ben, how are you doing? Very well Tom, how are you my darling? I'm okay, I'm managing to retain some of the upbeat uh, facade that I said I'd put on uh, in one of the earlier podcasts despite still being in uh, the midst of a global pandemic and lockdown. I'll be honest, most of the energy is put into the recording of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's been rest- a nightmare, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. We, pod bots, we've had s- some significant technical issues, mainly born out of. Uh, can I? Can we? Can we uh, name and shame the I think we, internet company? I think we. We, we need to. I think yeah. we need to, Ben. Uh, Mr. Murdoch, if you are listening, <laughs> you're a bellend. Your, your empire is crumbling. Uh, and uh, I'll be looking in virgin territory um, yes. for, for some new new supplier. Anyway, apart from that, how, how is life? What are you up to in your lockdown life, Ben? Well, um, with uh, lockdown loosening, I've realised that some people might be seeing me over the next few weeks. So I've suddenly had a knee-jerk uh, requirement to lose significant timber. So I've embarked <laughs> on a... A no or very low carb diet, obviously not, not including drink. That that is uh, necessary from a professional point of view. So I'm still drinking carbs in the form of alcohol, but I'm trying to cut everything down. Pastries, as well, you know, Tom is a weakness of mine. They're they're out of my life, and they're leaving a massive, massive pan of chocolate shaped hole, and well, it's been quite the, difficult. That's the, that's the point, isn't it? You want to you, you want to leave a hole. <laughs> yes, I know. Get get rid of the food in you. Uh, but that is sad. What are you turning to instead? Well, I'll tell you what I was turning. One of the few carbs I was sort of allowing myself, uh, being middle class, was couscous. But also venturing into a bit of rice as well, because someone at one point told me that rice is okay if it's the right kind of rice. But then I was just leafing through the Observer Supplement, uh, as you do, uh, on Sunday. Other newspapers are available. And I'll be buying them after reading this. And I stumbled across Yotam, Yotam Otolenghi's uh, little uh, sort of, it was a supplement all about rice. And he has a little intro. And um, I read this and then I just realised that everything, everything in this country is going to shit. Just listen, just listen to what he, and I'm sure he's a lovely guy and he's very good at cooking. But listen to what he says about rice. Okay. Rice is one of my main comforts these days, not least because this special grain transports me wherever I want to go. The thing about rice is it has a dynamic wardrobe. Yes, it's small, and yes, it's unassuming, and it does subtlety really well. Plain and buttered? Question mark. I'll definitely have that, but leave rice with a choice of costumes and, well, (laughs) things soon get really colourful. Rice looks just as good dressed in the flavours of the Mediterranean as it does doled up in Persian cardamom and lime. In fact, it looks good no matter what it has on, and I think it sort of knows it too. Wow. Wowzers. I'm sorry, Yotam, but I'm calling bullshit on that. (laughs) Because just the other day, uh, and there's no word of a lie, my kids were eating... Uncle Ben's rice mixed with ketchup, Herta Frankfurters, and sweet corn. 
And I tell you what, that is not a fucking dynamic looking wardrobe. It didn't, <laughs> didn't look good at all. No. I mean, I know well, the poor take... sod has got a right. I know he's got right about different types of food every week, and we know that pain. Writing writing about a specialist subject does mean you have to go down a few rabbit holes now and again. But I mean, that is no wonder we had to put up with. No wonder people sort of railed against that kind of bullshit. And bear in mind that's coming from some North London. <laughs> North London Islington bias or whatever metropolitan no. elite. I mean, you read that and it does make you want to go. And yeah, smash I, up I, can shop. S- I can see where the anger being directed at people like that is coming from in terms of uh, the, the Guardian reader. I, I, yeah, I mean, what I take from it is mostly is the small and unassuming part. Um, yeah, where it described it as plain and buttered, small and unassuming. Um, and yeah, there's <laughs> certainly something like that in, in my life. My wife will attest. Um, but otherwise, he's he's kind of putting me off rice. Um, yeah, well, this is it. I, I've now, I'm now, you know, I'm not going to boycott it. It's, it's, it's added to my no carbs uh, diet. But anyway, okay, well, rice, interesting. And we love, and we, is, and we love Guardian. We love the Guardian. We used to work for the Guardian. Yeah, We've done lots of stuff for them. But come on, man, let's just not let's not talk about rice having a wardrobe because it no. doesn't. But rice has been um, used in brewing, Ben, it occurs to me. Brilliant, Tom. Oh, isn't brilliant. it, though? That's why Isn't you're that? here. That's why you're here. Well done. This week we're trying a beer. It's called Tint Meadow, and it's England's only Trappist ale. And it's a beer made by actual monks. So what I want to do, I'm going to open it now. Here we go. Okay, it's a lovely-looking bottle, very plain-looking label. Um, what? It's a black bottle, which is good, keeps the uh, sun out. Uh, it's got a very plain white label with the words Tint Meadow, English Trappist Ale written on it. It's 7.4%. You give it a bit of a pour. Hang on, let me just do that. There we go. Oh, what a lovely colour, Ben. It's a lovely russet colour. I don't a Ruby I hue. Know ruby hue. Um, I never really know what russet it is, but I often use it to describe a beer that's brown. Mm. Um, it's a dark ale and it is wonderful gear, and um, and what it what it is, is is it's a Trappist beer and it gives us license, Tom, to explore the relationship between brewing and religion, and uh, a relationship that's been a long established one, um, right back to the early man. Now, early man assumed that fermentation was a gift from God, right back to Neolithic times, and maybe even before that. Uh, I'll be honest, Tom. I always get confused about which which man was first. Was it was caveman before Neolithic man? Uh, which one's like which one's like the oldest man? When, when well, that's what I, th- I I think we could come up with a new designation for um, the historic timeline of humanity, and we could say oldest man. Let's <laughs> go, Old, oldest man, oldest man, not monkey man, man. not Early-ish. monkey man. <laughs> Anyway, just... this man, the man I'm talking about, is very old. Let's just say he was somewhere between mammoth-chasing man and lute-playing man, uh, sort of in the medieval times. Now, he'd collect grain in pots and bowls uh, to turn into, to make bread and to, uh, to feed himself and his family. And then when rainwater filled up these vessels, it would turn into something resembling beer because natural yeast in the air would be feeding on the sugars given off by the germination of this grain and turn it into alcohol. Because what the rain did, it tricked the grain into thinking it was spring because it would be warm. 
little little seed, little germination would come out, a little green bit. That had loads of sugars in. You used to attack that and turn it into alcohol. So that's a bit of fermentation for you. But of course, early man didn't have a fucking clue about fermentation. He didn't know what was what was happening here. He didn't even know yeast existed because he couldn't see it. Because early man, as well we know, Tom, didn't have a microscope. Microscope. He, he so, didn't have a microscope. No, this is something we talk about yeah. in our shows. If anyone's been to our shows, they, these early guys, these early brewers, were kind of seen as um, having magical powers. They're seen as olden day magicians, a bit like an olden day Paul Daniels or Darren Brown or um, David Copperfield or... Uh, the German guys in Vegas who got eaten by their tigers, uh, R.I.P. Yep. R.I.P. Um, yep. Or Houdini as well. We talk about Houdini in our show, don't we, Ben? We do. Houdini, 1911, he um, he performed his most famous trick, which he normally did in a milkshake, by getting handcuffed and submerged in a huge cask of Tetley's beer. Yeah. But then yeast caused him a little bit of problems, didn't it? Well, yes, because he was a teetotaler, Houdini, and uh, he didn't really do his homework on the fermentation process. So he was in this beer barrel and he had an air pocket at the top, which was going to help him survive while he did his magic, in inverted commas. And um, uh, But he didn't know that yeast provides us with the alcohol, but also CO2. So this air pocket, which was a bit like a, a Dutch oven, it was filling up with all these gases, and uh, he passed out. He, he actually he panicked. He nearly drowned. So um, so it was pretty bad news for him. Yeah. Now, if he'd been uh, if he'd drunk, if he'd, if he'd drunk Tetley's beer rather than Tetley's tea and not been a teetotaler, he would have known that. And he wouldn't have nearly died. So there's a lesson there for all of us. I think we can agree, Tom. Mm, for sure. Now, now, but, but just going back to early man, they christened this yeast fermentation God is good. Um, they didn't know what they, and back then they didn't obviously have daily briefings like we do now from scientists. So they had no, they had no, didn't know what the fuck was going on really. Um, so they christened the yeast God is good. And it's a gift that keeps, uh, keep on giving because the Greeks, Further on, they worshipped a wine god called Dionysus. And Dionysus, uh, a, a gender-fluid wine god, very rather topical. don't know what J.K. Rowling would think about this person. But Greeks worshipped Dionysus, a gender-fluid wine god, who was often depicted naked in ancient Greek art. Now, if you studied ancient Greek art like I have, Tom, we all know that sometimes Dionysus is pictured without a penis, and sometimes with a penis. But she, stroke he, is always holding a large glass of wine. Ha-ha! Did he have a big hock then, Ben? No, Tom. He didn't like German wine. In fact, most of the time, if you look closely, I think you'll find he's got a semi-on. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, Christianity and brewing have been getting on since day one. Jesus, did he turn water into wine, Tom? No. No, he didn't. He turned water into beer. Here's why. Earlier scriptures state that Jesus, a lead character, turned water into shekar, a Hebrew word meaning strong drink, and crucially, a derivative of the ancient Semitic word sikari, which means barley beer. The reason we think Jesus turned water into wine or beer was because in the 17th century, in an astonishing display of academic arrogance, English translators turned Jesus the son of God into a kind of wine wanker who'd go to all bar one. But he wasn't. He was a beer guy. He had beard. He had a sandals. That's the kind of shit that beer people wear. And if you don't believe me, where do you think the word Hebrew comes from? Now, in 612 BC, there was another uh, beer religion uh, escapade. A bishop called Arnulf, Arnulf of Metz halted a plague by plunging a crucifix into a beer kettle 
and he told everyone in his parish to stop drinking water and start drinking beer. No one argued with him. But it wasn't until the Benedictine movement emerged in the 6th century that monasteries and abbeys became actual brewers. A fine bit of monkey business here, because their beer not only saved the local community and pilgrims from the dangers of disease-ridden water back then, it also made money that went towards maintaining the monasteries and funding local good causes. And it was, of course, also great papal PR. And that meant that pretty much all the early brewers in Europe, including Britain, were monastic. Brewer, monks would have been overseeing the brewing across Europe. But then quite a major event happened. Henry VIII came along and took power, and he put an end to all this monastic brewing. Because famously, unlike, uh, unlike Jay-Z, Henry VIII famously had lots of problems directly or indirectly related to his bitches. And these issues forced him to dissolve all the monasteries in the 16th century. Well, there we go. I, uh, just for the, the ladies who are listening, um, obviously mm-hmm. we use the word bitches because it's in the context of uh, the Jay-Z yeah. song, not because it's a term yeah. we would use. Henry, um, he was a bit aggressive with his dealing with wives and, and, and Lord knows we've all had our issues in our domestic situations, I'm sure, during a lockdown. It can be a bit fraught, but he took took it to the next level i think it's fair to say ben yeah. isn't it he uh he cut off their heads I think even even if yes he did uh i don't know why he just didn't use i think he could have well put it this way he could have let them down a little bit more gently yeah than he did sit down um, nice cup of tea just talk your problems through don't get the axe from me don't get the axe from the shed <laughs> no no i mean there's ways of i mean Maybe he should have got like a goblet, uh, or or some other kind of like a goblet of splosh. A goblet of splosh, and if you're holding the goblet of splosh, it's your turn to talk. Yeah. And tell the other person the way you feel, what they what you feel, how you know your emotions, and it's time for the other person to just listen. Yeah. Uh, Custard creams. Than, uh, Throw some custard Baby, creams. Baby, some custard cream. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I know your, love, your wife loves a custard she cream. She does. Not as much as um, you, it's fair to say. No. But <laughs> no talking of the word bitch, let's uh, not go into that now. <laughs> ben once decided to use that term for my wife when he thought she'd stolen his custard creams. Turned out he just wasn't looking carefully enough. They were right in front of him. Such was his greed and anger about his missing no. custard creams. I was going through a very difficult time. Um... <laughs> Uh, anyway, he uh, yeah, so he had a lot of tr- trouble and problems with his various wives. He didn't let them down gently, and he caused a whole load of problems. Uh, the main one being that uh, all the monastic breweries were smashed up and stopped, and uh, with no monks around to work magic with their mash forks, British brewing passed into the secular hands of, of, of landowners and farmers, and pretty much it stayed there since then. Until, of course, two years ago which brings us back to the lovely beer we're tasting, Tint Meadow, when some monks in Leicestershire began brewing a Trappist beer again. Ah. Which in the beer world, this was big news, man. I can imagine. Is, we've not, we've, I mean, having a Trappist beer in the country didn't get the, uh, didn't get the press it deserved. I mean, one of the main reasons, I imagine, is that monks, not talking much, didn't shout about it enough. Hmm. Um, but the monks we're talking about are the monks of the Mount St. Bernard Abbey in Charnwood Forest. It was established in 1835, and uh, the Mount St. Bernard Abbey is the only Cistercian Abbey in England, 
and there was a used to be a brewery back there as well. So it all comes together. So so they now, used to they actually used to brew the monks brew. So it was a mona- was it a monastic brewing back in the day? Because if yeah. it was, that's yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's quite a, it's quite a Jesus like tale resurrected. Yeah, with, come back. Yeah, yeah, mm. resurrected. Interesting. Um, and you then. Was that East? Which one? Is that that's the Easter one, isn't it? I always get Easter and back. Christmas confused, Ben. Easter's the one with yeah. the chocolate <laughs> eggs and uh, yeah, the other one's his birthday. Yeah, He's got anyway, kind of like two um, birthdays, hasn't he? Really, it's a bit like the he has. Um, it's all about him. It's all about him. Um, but the before they were brewing, they were making money from uh, operating as a dairy farm because obviously the monks to up to keep the monastery looking pucker. And to, to to do charitable work, they they have to make money, and they were not operating a dairy farm making milk. But nah. in two thousand and thirteen, I don't know if you remember, mate, the milk market had curdled. It had <sighs> got it it stagnated, and it simply wasn't the cash cow it once was. In fact, the supermarkets, those horrible supermarkets, had frozen their prices. So they weren't making any money for the upkeep of the buildings and and the charitable work. So they had to think of something something else to do well i say well so i they, tell you what ben surely if it was mm, frisian they should have got a jersey yeah and <sighs> and um let's move on uh, okay so they began brewing this beer and it's like i say it's the only trappist brew in england one of the only 12 in the world now a trappist beer what is a trappist beer i hear you ask not me the, the podkins no go on uh, no no me. i'm not asking uh, well, oh, okay sorry well, the thing is, I've been to a Trappist brewery, so it'd be okay, massively right, disingenuous. Just you don't know what it is. Okay, what is it, Ben? Well, a Trappist beer, Tom, as you asked, can only be brewed by the Cistercian order of the strict observance. And to become an authentic Trappist beer, Tom, you have to fulfil the following criteria. And this, this criteria was, uh, was uh, stated in 1992. Monks must make or oversee its production. It must be made within the confines of the Trappist Abbey, and any profit made must be used for social or charitable work. So those are the three criteria. Now there are there are the most famous Trappist breweries are mostly in Belgium. There's Chimay, everyone knows that. Rochefort, Oval, lovely sort of that lovely tempin bowl, uh, tempin bowling pin. Um, uh, shaped bottle, it's a beautiful pale ale. Uh, then you've got stuff like La Trappe in the Netherlands. You've got Vetvelateren, the St. Sixtus Abbey, which is the beer geeks. That's very rare. You can only go and buy that from the Abbey. If you, if you, It's like Willy Wonky, you have to get a golden ticket and you're only allowed in there if you've been a very good boy um, or girl. Um so, so though there are lots of there, 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 there's sort of the hardcore in Belgium and Vest, Holland. Vestmaler as well. You haven't mentioned Vestmaler, Vestmaler. Yeah, Vestmaler. That's the one you've been to. That it? was yeah, that was the one I went to, and I think it is for for the listeners who once we get out of lockdown, it's definitely worth a jaunt across to Belgium to explore some of these because some of them will let you in to have a look around a little bit. They they don't let you too up close and personal. Uh, with the monks but um, but they are actually still there i went over the the, the most famous beer they produce at the vest muller is the uh, the triple so i was drinking a lot of triple which is a very strong beer and very easy drinking beer of course it's a it's a it was 9.5 percent so it's it's quite a boozy 
endeavour they're getting involved in there. And I have to say that once you've had a few of those, it's quite sometimes quite difficult, Ben, isn't it, to observe the strict rules of silence within the order. And uh, yes, uh, I, I did find myself chatting to people who are a bit non-responsive and. Uh, well, I mean, the the Trappist monks are, they're renowned for their rigorous religious obedience. Uh, and then, and there is a vow of silence, but they are allow, allowed to talk a little bit. I think it's a bit of a myth that they they can't say anything, but they can't indulge in the kind of tittle-tattle, tittle-tattle that we, you no. know, kind of shit that we speak. Um, so they only speak when they've got something interesting to say. Yeah, uh, which that is probably sense. a rule we should adopt for this podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but the, the Vesmala triple is a is a classic and. Um, the Vesmala triple yeast. Well, if you speak to the beer guy, the beer nerds, they talk about that in quite hallowed terms. It's 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 got a very good reputation, and it's it's um, used in other beers as well. It's very fruity, very got lots of lovely banana notes to it as well. Well, they were saying because it is so, a bit like um, it's a bit of a benchmark of the style, isn't it? And uh, and I said, yeah, what is yes. it more like a a pew mark because you know church. Okay. We'll get Guy to cut that one out. Um, now, uh, talking beer styles, Trappist in itself is not a style of beer, Tom. Uh, it is, uh, they, chen- they tend to be uh, strong and nourishing. They, they cover a range of styles from dark double beers to light triple ales like the Vesmala. Um, and the stronger beers tend to be lighter, the darker beers less potent. Uh, it is confusing, but you know, God's in charge, so don't let's not question it too much um uh but it doesn't trappist beer isn't necessary doesn't mean it's a good beer it tends to be a good beer but if for argument's sake a uh, uh, trappist monastery wanted to make budweiser or another beer that's not considered um particularly discerning then then they they can there's nothing in the rules that says you can't brew uh, a cooking lager for instance but um as long as the sale the sales of this beer are used for good causes um, and for, for the upkeep of the monastery, then then they can keep their their Trappist trademark. But that said, the the Trappist trademark is acknowledged as a badge, not just of, of quality, but for being kind of pure and wholesome. Um, so the, the 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 beers tend to be pretty good. And if and if there's any wavering on the quality of the beer or the adherence to the rules, then they will take it away. I think it was La Trappe had their Trappist mark removed for a year or two because uh, they the, the monks were basically stepping back from the process completely and it all becoming a little bit too secular. So they do have to keep things um, keep things tight. Now it's tempting to conjure up romantic images of little kind of gargamel lookalikes studiously stirring the wort and tenderly dropping hops into mass tons and milling the malt, but that's that's not really the case. The vast majority of the brewing is done by, by lay brewers. Um, and much like microbreweries, these Trappist brewers are not overly different in their in their pressures. Uh, much like secular ale making enterprises, the order is subject to the same pressures of maximising profit and production. Uh, so, like shareholders of a public company, they're in a game of they are in a game of making money, albeit money ring fenced for for good for for good deeds. So, um, 
they are not beyond criticism and stuff like Shimei has had a few people have sort of said well the quality of Shimei has gone up and down a bit and when Shimei was launched over here in association with Fuller's a few years ago they reduced uh, they introduced one which was lower ABV because um, it was too strong for British palates um, so there, there we have had um, uh, examples of them kind of cutting quality corners here and there but this tint meadow I think is absolutely brilliant. I wasn't expecting a great deal, but it's dark, it's rich, it's got lots of autumnal fruits in there. Yeah. It's rounded, it's, it's balanced. I really, really like it. It's a very good beer. I was surprised at how easy drinking it is. It is a kind of a, a winter warmer in some respects. It's it's something that would go very nicely with a lamb dish or something like that. But uh, And it is 7.4%. So we, we always find when we talk to people about beers... Uh, especially my mates now who are a lot of dads who uh, who struggle to get up in the morning when you say beer 7.5 percent they turn their nose up but you don't have you're not not drinking this in a in one of your uh, rather sort of uh, unwieldy non-imperial pint glasses we've talked about glassware on this this podcast before ben and i know that um, we we have a lot of uh, affection for the belgians when it comes to using the correct glassware and i suppose We've, we've talked a lot of bollocks, but the actual bollock glassware, the chalice yeah. or the goblet-shaped glasswares they have, just a bit more appropriate for something like that, aren't they? I think that's probably what you'd you'd serve it up in um, and and feel less inclined to skull five pints of it. You're, it's the sort yeah. of thing that you it, treat it with can the step in and it deserves. If you, were having a, yeah, if you were having a nice roast, it's, this could step in where you would normally have a big big uh, strong red wine big sort of full bodied red wine um i think it's it's i mean it's very it's, it's really quite exciting that they're they're making this beer again um i don't know the future of the woolies trappers beers is in doubt because less and less people are choosing to become monks um so they they they're going to be running out of monks to make this beer um what do you would you like i mean this lockdown has made me think I don't think it'll be that too bad. I've actually spent an I've spent uh, a night at an ab, uh, a monastic abbey um, called Afflecken where they brew. Mm. And apart from the early morning, you have to get up well early, and the bedrooms were a bit sparse. They could do with a bit of an, they could get Lawrence Llewellyn and Bowen in to spruce it up a bit, but <laughs> it was a bit minimalist. Um, and when I once you've woken up and done some chanting and that. They were not playing dominoes all day. No, um, I, did, I think I saw one of them. I, one of them was belling around in a um, in a forklift <laughs> with his habit on. So that's quite funny. Sounds like a right laugh. And but yeah, but there were like there were women everywhere. They were like in the cafeteria. They were all <laughs> drinking beer, playing dominoes, and and having like sandwiches and crisps. Okay. Uh, all I'd say about ha- all I'd say about that is mm-hmm. you know there, there are there are women everywhere. Did you say? I mean, that's yes. That's not necessarily that's that. a plus point. You'd probably want if unless you're allowed <laughs> to uh, engage physically. I'd say that's just dangling under your nose a bit. But I certainly agree that at the moment, given what we're all facing, a bit of alone time, me time. Uh, and also, you'd probably get a, an unbroken night's sleep in that environment, so you wouldn't mind getting up early you would. in the morning. I don't mind getting up early if my children haven't woken up three times in the night. So, uh, yeah, I, see, I can see. But I think you've got to be, quite, imagine... you've got to be quite bright, haven't you? Um, to... No, I don't know if you do, because I think you go in 
and they, the, the, the Afflegan place, they had this amazing library. So I imagine you could start off being quite sick, <laughs> and then over time, just get more cleverer. Yeah. Um, I mean, because there's not much else to do. They, you wake up in the morning, you do some chanting, a bit of praying, and then you've got to like, pull a rope to ring a bell and that. Good at and that. And then you do... Good at bell ringing. Uh, you probably have to look after a beehive maybe I don't know you do have Potter to believe God you, a bit. I mean you do have to believe in God um, that's true so that's true for listeners if you don't do that pod, pod bods uh, who aren't believers that might be a bit of a stumbling block uh, yeah but once you get over that I mean I could learn to love God if it suited me if it was <laughs> if it was rent free and uh, all, all yeah. meals were provided um let God into my life, and this beer. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, pretty good. And this beer, and you, yeah, you can brew the beer. And just, just, uh, just to uh, distinguish between Abbey beers and Trappist beers, and Abbey, quite often you see these Belgian beers with a funny-looking monk on the front with rosy cheeks and that, and that that doesn't mean it's a Trappist beer. An Abbey beer is brewed by monks, but it's not, and it goes to good causes, but it's not brewed. On the premises of the Abbey, that's the distinction. Okay. So, well, Tim Meadow, watch out for Tim Meadow doesn't have a a monk on the front, but it has no. got a lovely label. I have to say, it's a very simple yeah. label uh, with a nice sort of cut around silhouette of what I'm assuming maybe is the monastery. But it's um, just proof that you don't need a highfalutin monkey sort no. of label to trick people into no. drinking it just learn as ever as we always say listen to podcasts like ours learn a bit more about the people behind it and how it's being made and make your judgment not based on the cover much like a book but on your understanding yeah. of what's going on so. and it's also the saint bernard it's the saint bernard abbey did you know you know the saint bernard um dog that's renowned for uh Carrying brandy underneath uh, its tree. That's uh, one of those QI, mm. isn't it? They never did. Of course, yeah. brandy is something that's massively dehydrating. It would be a silly thing to take to someone who'd been isolated <laughs> on a mountain yeah. for a day. Uh, uh, no, some yeah, it's only famous, and people don't even think it, they they do this because there was a famous Swiss artist who did a did a painting, and it was on there, and uh, everyone then assumed that St Bernard's carried brandy around. They don't. They're just dogs. Mm. It would be a hassle for a dog. I mean, it's a hassle for a dog carrying a bell around, let alone a big thing of brandy. Yeah. There we go. So there you go. I think um, I think that brings us seamlessly to the end of our journey into the world of brewing and religion. I think we've covered quite a lot there. We have, Ben. Are you, feeling, been... are you feeling any more pious? I am. Uh, God is, is close to being back into my life. And um, and I'll have, I'll have a little chat with him after this, after I've had a few more... 7.4% of Trappist Ales. Um, I, I think that was a really nice overview of, of the style of beer and with a fantastically interesting beer that not a lot of people are going to try it before. So hopefully that's given you a bit of an insight, pod pod bods. Um, and, and you'll have noticed that we've just talked about beer this week. We haven't talked about his spirit. So the new format means we're just going to try and give you a bit more about one style of drink. So that's what we were aiming at this week so next week we'll be returning with a spirit of choice so i'm going to be tasting talisker whiskies ben 
and um, yes, uh, yum yum. And we said a few podcasts ago that we'd try uh, Talisker Storm, but actually, what we're going to do is we're going to try the ten-year-old, the eighteen-year-old. We're going to try Talisker Storm, Talisker Sky, which are two of their no non-age statement whiskies. And we're just going to give you an overview of the whole distillery. So get a bottle of whatever you fancy from the Talisker Distillery, and uh, you can taste along with us as we as we go through their repertoire. Uh, so that's one to look forward to. Um, but that brings us to the end of our podcast, I think, Ben, doesn't it? It certainly does. Um, thank you very much for listening. And um, if you want to buy the beer that we've just tried, then um, you can go to Beerwolf, B-E-E-R-W-U-L-F. Um, and if they don't have it, you can get it also from beerhawk.co.uk. So we'll put all the details below about um, about where you can get the beers and please do tell all your friends uh, even tell people you don't really like at all about this podcast tell them to listen to, listen to it uh, spread the word about it don't spread the virus and we'll see you next week cheers cheers, cheers.